Good afternoon, you're on the panel on RNZ National and we are on iHeart and the panel is on Apple and Spotify as well. We have Georgie Stiliano and Dean Hall today. Now, by the way, uh, if you look online, uh, rnz.co.nz slash the panel, those pictures of those All Blacks t-shirts are there now. Uh, and so this is a random uh, New Zealander on a plane across the US uh, sending two All Blacks t-shirts to uh, a young Texan boy whose mum was very, very sick. Now, Joey, he wants to get in touch with that Kiwi. You, If you have any leads, email me, uh, the panel at rnz.co.nz. I'm hoping uh, that Joey can find that man to say thank you. Anyway, to this first, Labour has unveiled a new paid partner's leave policy promising four weeks paid parental leave for partners if it is re-elected. Partners are currently entitled to two weeks unpaid leave, but Labour's staggered plan would give them four weeks paid leave by mid-2026. It comes just a few weeks after Labour voted down a bill on the name of National Deputy Leader Nicola Willis, allowing parents to share their leave entitlement. And with us to discuss this is uh, Dr Susie Morrissey, a research advocate from the Public Policy Institute at uh, Auckland University. Dr Morrissey, welcome. Thank you. So from two weeks to eventually four weeks, what do you make of the move? It's a really great start. Um, We're really behind the rest of the world in terms of our parental leave policy in a number of respects. And the key one was that we didn't have any independent entitlement to paid leave for fathers or partners. So introducing this is is a really great start. How far behind are we? I mean, where do we sit in terms of paid leave compared to, say, other countries in the OECD, uh, Susie? Yeah, so most other countries have got a statutory designated paternity leave that is paid at an earnings-related level. So we, we only had that two weeks unpaid, and this proposal is for four weeks paid at the rate that parental leave is paid at, which is, as you might know, is $712 gross a week. So it's less than minimum wage. So even if this is introduced, we're still not going to be offering the same kind of leave entitlements as the majority of our peers. Right. And then there is the costs as well, Dr. Morrissey. Labor's will cost the taxpayer um, $230 million over the first four years. National's paid parental leave system to allow flexibility comes at no further cost to taxpayers. Yeah, I think these are two very different things. So we've got the question of whether we need fathers and partners at home at the time of a birth or adoption to bond with the child and to assist the mother. So we've got that. And then we've got the question of parental leave for the ongoing care of the child and whether we see that as a mother's responsibility or both parents. And really the parental leave policy is is the policy that one should allow both parents to be involved and while 26 weeks is, is, is great and obviously a longer than the 12 weeks that was introduced originally in New Zealand, it's still actually not that long. Um, and so the ability of parents to share leave when it's still only at 26 weeks, it may not be the case that that's going to work for, for a family. 
All right, let's it go. does allow fathers to be at home for a period of time. Yeah. All right, let's go on the panel on this. Uh, they'll have some thoughts, surely, on uh, this Georgie. Well, I think, I mean, obviously the government, well, the, the Labour leader is sort of caught in this tough place of wanting to throw out these these sweeteners, um, these pre-election sweeteners, while, while balancing the fact that he doesn't want to be accused of economic mismanagement. But my question to you, Susie, would be, do you think people are actually going to resonate with this if, if they see that it's not actually going to kick in until, you know, this time next election? You know, that's that's at the end of nine years of, of a Labour term. I mean, do you think that it's just too far out for people to maybe get behind this? It may be. When we, it, we often see a phased approach when we're introducing new policies. And so the idea of it coming in, you know, starting next year and then coming up to, to four weeks over time, it's not an uncommon way of introducing policies for any particular party to do this. But obviously, whether it really resonates with people, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Mm. Yeah, Dean. Uh, look, I'm, I'm not super familiar with a lot of the specifics of the policy, but I do know that making video games, uh, 50% of our customers are female, which surprises a lot of people. The average age of a gamer is 35. And what we found is making the games, it's like making a movie. You actually need a representative team doing it. And we've really struggled as an industry to bring up the percentage of women and all kinds of minorities and stuff like that to be able to make the games. And consistently, one thing that comes up in the data is that uh, parents taking time off to have children from their career um, is, is kind of one of these passive attributes that that we seem to be fighting against a lot. So I was pleased to see that um, governments and the political parties in general are talking about the issue of how do we support parents and, uh, you know, hopefully that makes a difference, at least for us, for getting them back into the industry. Yeah, parental leave has been shown to be really important for ongoing labour market participation by women, so it actually helps keep them in work, whether that sounds counterintuitive or not, but it actually helps. And by introducing leave for fathers particularly, we're kind of changing the pattern there of responsibility, you know, thinking that children are responsibility of the, the mother primarily. So anything we can do to kind of disrupt that and change the way we're doing paid work, change the way we're working in the home, I think is really a good good development. I, actually, just on that, because I know, you know that last year, wasn't it, the Retirement Commission said it was uh, time for dads to get paid parental leave and that they could actually help close the gender pay gap, um, which is another uh, very uh, timely issue. Yeah, that's right. I mean, at the moment, we've got women taking 98% of the parental leave in New Zealand. Only 2% is taken by their fathers. 2%? So, yeah, so we've got an opportunity to start, you know, changing those dynamics of mm. men taking time out of paid work, and women being able to do more paid work if they want to, which means that, yes, that should do something for the gender pay gap, for the pr- promotion opportunities for women at work and all of those kinds of things, which would certainly support women's um, financial careers and trajectory. It's quite a... Um, uh uh, it's quite uh, that's quite a f- figure, isn't it? What I'm trying to say here: two percent of paid parental leave being taken mm-hmm. by fathers. Um, mm-hmm. That 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 is and that um, perhaps needs to be addressed. 
Uh, so you've got a couple of things to consider there. So perhaps it's the 26 weeks period. Perhaps that's just right. not long enough for parents to share. And then the other question is the amount at which it's paid because, as I said, it's only paid at just over $700 a week. And so if you've got a gender pay gap in, in your family and your, the, parent, the father is earning more, it may be that you are prepared for the mother to stay at home longer than the father. Interesting. Susie, kia ora. Thank you for that. That's uh, Dr. Susie Morrissey uh, there. And uh, what did you take? I'm just trying to think of uh, what I took. I think I took two weeks. That was um, what I took personally uh, when little junior was born. Mm. Um, what about uh, you? Text me at 2101. And actually, um, let me ask you this. Would you have liked to have taken more? I'd be interested. 17 past four uh, of the panel. But it is the last FIFA Women's World Cup game on New Zealand soil tonight. The two European powers meet Spain versus Sweden. Semi-final Eden Park tonight. Audiences in New Zealand and Australia, they've been huge. This tournament in the pantheon of attendance, an average crowd attendance of 23,500 across the 29 matches here. Only the 2011 Rugby World Cup brought more fans through the gates. Tomorrow we're going to go to a um, a, a women's soccer club uh, from Sydney to discuss this issue. But if you look there, they are shattering records in any code. The TV news was delayed. So people can continue watching the game. It's just quite something. Anyway, with us is Dr. Alida Shanks, a legacy manager at uh, the uh, Bay of Plenty, Waikato Bay of Plenty Football, just completed her PhD investigating gender equity in community football. Dr. Shanks, welcome. Kia ora. What are you reflecting on, Dr. Shanks, as we gear up to the uh, last FIFA game in New Zealand? Oh, it's just been an exciting time um, seeing the crowds and how much um, enthusiasm and excitement there is for football. And in, as in my role as legacy manager, um, how can we turn this excitement into something that's, um, I guess, longer lasting? How can we turn that inspiration into um, something that, you know, that can last? And really, that's the question, isn't it? I mean, you are working on promoting the game in Waikato and Bay of Plenty. So uh, what are you finding? What might be the challenges? Yeah, I think there's um, probably a couple of things that we're looking at. So we look at increasing participation, which I think has just has occurred as part of the inspiration, as part of the World Cup. So seeing women on the world stage, but right here in our backyard is just amazing. Um, for our, for our girls and for our women to see that. Um, but also in our clubs and our regions and in our national body, we need to look at creating spaces that are um, that women and girls are part of that decision-making process, so that we're creating spaces that are designed by women and girls for women and girls. Yeah, the Georgie. Well, I presume that, I mean, part of the issue, and I'm interested in what the actual answer is here, but do do girls sort of join up as, as young girls and then drop out at a certain age, whereas the boys maybe carry on going? Or is it that actually um, girls just don't take up the sport in the, in the first place or, or certainly not to the, the same um, volume as, as the chaps? Uh, yeah, so there's probably a couple of things. So we've got um, around 50,000 kids play football in New Zealand hmm. and around um, 10,000 of those are girls. So we've got maybe, you know, around 
um, 20% are girls. So it's growing. We've got our girls-only leagues, and so we're starting to that's starting to build. But you're right. There is a there is a drop off, especially in our teenage girls. Mm. Um, and so that's um, there's lots of things happening. Uh, there's school. There's other sports. Or, you know, and so it's about to create. Um, so football was created for a specific audience, um, like over a hundred years ago. So how can we perhaps look at football and create it into a <clears throat> a space that that our teenage girls want to play? Mm. Yeah, Dean. Uh, I'm wondering, so uh, do you think is that drop-off, is that because the girls are leaving the support or uh, you know, maybe pa- parents aren't as supportive about continuing on with it? Because I know with getting more girls into video games, uh, like making video games, uh, we did see sometimes that there wasn't, you know, we needed to sort of start the battle with the parents to convince them, hey, this is a viable career. I wonder, is that, and, and I guess this World Cup helps a lot with that. Oh, 100%. So if you can see her, you can be her, is the, uh, is the saying that we like to, to use. Um, like so being that. able to see the, there's the football yeah. ferns on the world stage and, and mm. all the teams, the, the Matildas, like in a semi-final, that was, that's extraordinary. Um, so I think, I think having that, those role models, being able to see that, but then also having the spaces where um, in our clubs, in our regions, that where when girls and um, women show up to play football, that they feel welcomed, that they, um, you know, they're in a space where they are comfortable. We've seen facilities um, have been upgraded around New Zealand as part of the World Cup, as part of the legacy, and and there was a headline that said that they were glammed up. But um, I think <laughs> they had heaters, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> things where <laughs> um, I, I would think that they were just like good things to have. So I think it's yeah. things like that where it's just a, so, um, a good space to get, yeah, to play football. I, Georgie. I wonder then, is the utopia here that we stop calling it football and then women's football or girls' football and it's all just football? Yes, yes, a hundred percent. I would, um, if we could just call it football um, and not have to differentiate, um, and yeah, that would be mm. that's a hallelujah. Around <laughs> the panel, I mean, Georgie, have you been following the the, the, the FIFA? Oh yes, it's caused quite a lot of tension in our household because yeah. um, we have myself of, of English heritage and my partner who's Scottish, but for some reason is backing the Matildas. So the um, the clash between the Aussies and the English is um, is causing quite a lot of friction in in my home. Yeah, Dean. Uh, I'm really weird. I I love playing sport, but I don't like watching it. So I don't really watch a lot of sport at all, to be honest, but I I love playing it. You're a doer. Um, You said, uh, Dr. Shanks, finally, you said that those old tropes about no one watching women's sport or that it's not exciting just aren't true anymore. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again because, you know, it, it it wasn't that long ago that whenever we talked about uh, issues like this, I would get the texts come in saying, well, <laughs> one of the reasons why pay parity isn't viable is because, it, I, I'm sorry to say this, I'm really sorry to say this, but people just don't watch it. <laughs> and then here you have these most extraordinary figures. Uh, the average crowd attendance, 23,500. I think for the uh, Rugby League World Cup, it was 17,000. Uh, uh, w- does this really overturn those old notions, Alina? Yes, it's, that's, it's one of the most exciting things is that I think 
never again can anyone with a straight face say that people don't watch women's sport. Mm. We've had the Rugby World Cup, the cricket, you know, the football, and just the people have been there in their thousands. So, yeah, people watch women's sport. If you show it, we'll show up. But that didn't happen by accident, right? It requires investment and you know the facilities and commitments and stuff like that, right? So, yes, yeah, and that's, yeah. That's, that's the other part to it. I think is that what it shows is that when you do put the energy, the resources, mm. the finances into it, then that also demonstrates that you know people will come, people will show up, and people will be there. Good on you, Alida. Kia ora. Thank you for your time. This is Alida Shanks, the uh, Legacy Manager for Waikato Bay of Plenty Football, who's uh, doing her PhD in Gender Equity in Community Football. Uh, and tomorrow, just after four, uh, the panel will be going uh, live to a um, uh, women's football club in Sydney ahead of that uh, massive game um, uh, at the FIFA Women's World Cup. But to this, oh, by the way, can I just, uh, no, I'll say that after actually. We've had some lovely uh, emails regarding random acts of kindness. Uh, keep those coming. Email me at the panel at rnz.co.nz. But the solar power story got quite a response yesterday. Uh, we talked about this uh, Green Party initiative to solarise uh, households. You know, you've got a six grand um, a, a, a loan, I guess, um, and then you've got extra top-up for your things like um, heating and that type of thing. Anyway, this one stood out. Joy built her house in 2008. It is totally off the grid. And, well, I wanted to hear more, as did you. With us is Joy Robinson, kia ora, Joy. Hi there. Tell us about your house. Oh well, it's just a it's just a small house on um, in the countryside, and I I always said if I had the opportunity to build a house myself, then I would make it totally solar. And this one is totally well, it's totally right. Electricity is totally solar power. Yeah. Two thousand and eight, pretty new, totally off the grid. Uh, does it work? Oh, yes, it's always worked. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the workmen were very impressed that they didn't have to use their generator when they uh, set out to build the house from the solar panels on the garage. I've since put more solar panels on the roof of the house and have a new system with really good batteries. Um, I know nothing about electricity. Uh, but it always works. I know if the light goes blue, I just go very carefully. But that only happened after the five days of the of the cyclone. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Georgie, isn't this? I mean, it feels like a dream, doesn't it? Having no electricity, monthly electricity bill. Oh, absolutely amazing. I mean, that's yeah, awesome, Joy. So when you say yeah. and it goes into the blue, is that because there's not been enough sun or the storage element has, has, has run out? What is it not? I, I, yeah. I think it really means that the storage element is getting low because there has not been enough sun. Right. But I am quite intrigued that there doesn't have to be pure sunlight to charge the batteries mm. daylight more often than not charges the batteries so there's a few misconceptions potentially yes i think it's not as um it's not as fragile as you, one might think it is ah right. dean yes yeah i guess 
Uh, I guess it's just one of those really kind of awesome things that I hope we see a lot more of. You know, it's what, part of it is getting solar panels and having good insulation and uh, all of those things. And, and I guess at the moment it requires people like Joy, right, who are interested in it and find lots about it. And how do we get more people thinking about it and make it available for more people is the hard part. Yes, and, and it doesn't actually take a lot of room either. The whole mm. whole conversion panels and things is not a, not a, it's not take doesn't take a lot of space. Did it require a bit of a leap of faith, Joy, to go fully solar, to go totally off the grid? You know, not not having that. Uh, I guess my, what some might see as stability and that safety blanket of being connected to a you know mainstream power company. Uh, I not really. Initially, the house was going to be a summer house, um, and and so yeah, it was pretty simple. Uh, I think there was a lot of faith in the guys who put it in for me because they had never done one before. I mean, right. this was two thousand and eight, uh, and they were very excited about the whole thing. Mm. Yeah, I can I um, ask one more question? Yeah, of thank course. you. Um, so. If you generate more power than you use, the next cool thing that I know someone in the bowels of some ministry is looking at is to be able to have you share your power with the local school or the marae down the road or your in-laws who live on the farm a few blocks away. I have no idea how one would do that (laughs) from batteries. My power goes into my bat. My the extra power goes into the batteries. If I don't lose the battery, use all that's in the batteries, then I, I presume there's no more generation mm. happening until the batteries need it. It's uh, it's not possible to share battery power. Right. Okay. Uh, That's very interesting stuff. Just amazing, yeah. Joy. Would you ever go back? Would you ever go back to being on grid? Oh no, no, never, no, <laughs> no. That's a... I, I have friends who I look at them, the, the city's in, in blackout and I have all the power I want <laughs> so, Yeah, yes. good on you Joy awesome. All right, well, Hey, thanks for explaining, okay. yeah, a bit of interest in this one isn't there, uh, that's Joy Robinson there who built her house in 2008 and it is totally uh, off uh, the grid, so she has panels on the house as well and even in the terrible summer and winter she never runs out of power she says uh, a random act of kindness, Wallace I'd been having a lot of pain, disability, fatigue and illness, so I got an urgent appointment at the Green Lane Hospital Clinical Centre on the 1st of August. On the way out, I struggled to reach the parking payment machine's swipe pad from my wheelchair, so I asked a guy on the other machine to wave my debit card. Instead, he used his own credit card, but refused to accept anything in return. So um, a random act of kindness that you've experienced. Why don't you email me, the panel, at rnz.co.nz. George Stiliano and Dean Hall with me today. It is time for headlines.